Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. interview is with a guy I think you're going to find fascinating. He has so many stories to tell and it's almost unfair to try to cram everything in into a, a short pod, podcast. Elder Bob or Great Bear, uh, Bob Phillips, he, he holds a PhD in Indigenous Studies. He's an advocate for First Nations communities and he's a great guy. You're going to love this interview. He recently returned to Burnenthorpe Collegiate to deliver the graduating address 55 years after being expelled from the school. We talk about racism. We talk about um, why why he's optimistic still. Why is he still hopeful after all these years? We talk about common social attitudes and urban reconciliation. And we talk about things, frankly, we talk about a great deal of things that matter here, not only for us as Canadians and as individuals, but also, I think, uh, globally as well. So there's lessons learned here for everybody. Lots of great stories, lots of great things uh, to, to, to listen in for. So I hope you're going to enjoy this. Uh, don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about other podcasts. And also, I think by now we will have broken the 200 podcast interview goal. So stay tuned for more. Uh, and we're coming up now with uh, Bob Phillips. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by another very special guest today. He is a, an educator. He's an Indigenous Studies and Aboriginal Art Specialists. He, he, specialist. He has a PhD. He's a doctor, Dr. Bob Phillips. Um, he's got a lot going on, actually, this guy. I think we're going to find out some pretty interesting things about him. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Do I have to call you doctor? Or can no, I, no, Bob is, yeah, is professor. Uh, no, Sir? no, 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 no. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, since the PhD is fairly recent, I'm still not used to being called Dr. Bob. Right. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is funny. And, yeah. and we can perhaps talk 
talk uh, a little bit about how that came to I'd be and everything else. I'd, I'd love to, and I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that you're an Aboriginal art specialist. There's so many things we can talk about. And you spent 10 years, I think our listeners need to know, 10 years on the Aboriginal Voices Radio Network uh, out of Trent. Is that right? No. The Aboriginal Voices Radio Network was um, uh, a set of stations ah, okay. run by Native people. And uh, for 10 years, if you tuned into 106.5 FM, Aboriginal Voices Radio, uh, uh, you heard me on... Uh, the AVR Arts Review, but now the CRTC has pulled all of the licenses. Hmm. Uh, essentially, they felt that the station wasn't uh, living up to the requirement to deal um, uh, with the native community properly. So, what do you say, I mean, what do you mean by that? That's certainly uh, well know, not living <clears throat> up. Was it um, standards or reporting or you know? Uh, is that is that sort of what you mean? Uh, when I first uh, started at uh, Aboriginal Voices Radio, uh, there was a guy named Gary Farmer. And Gary Farmer was, a, he really is a visionary. Gary Farmer uh, started a, a magazine or, or a, a journal uh, type of thing, uh, Aboriginal Voices, and then uh, ultimately pushed to have uh, a radio station, Aboriginal Voices Radio. Uh, when I first started, uh, he was still involved with the station, and the uh, station had all kinds of, of native people involved with it in that, uh, but there was a non-native guy who controlled it. Uh, after a, the licenses were granted by the CRTC from uh, essentially Ottawa right through to Vancouver, mm -hmm. the station then, instead of going live, JR became something that was pre-recorded. And uh, it went through a certain amount of financial difficulty that I believe was related to breaking away from um, non-native control into native control. But the station, uh, although it lasted for uh, 10 years and was very good at that, I believe that the mainstream concept of uh, let's have a very good music station or something of that nature uh, uh, sort of took over as opposed to uh, talk shows and right. things that really right. link different parts of the, uh, the uh, Aboriginal community. So it, it did marvelous things to a certain extent, uh, but to another extent it didn't. And so ultimately the CRTC pulled the licenses. It's my understanding that today they're looking for non uh, native audiences uh, probably to uh, increase uh, funding one way or another. Sure, so sure. That they well, can and it's never an either-or thing in these never. kinds of decisions and so mm. on, and I'm sure it was fairly subtle and nuanced and so on, but still disappointing nevertheless. Disappointing, yeah. but the uh, native people who, who were actually running the station did a marvelous job for many, many years. And if that station has now started to move in a different direction, the only thing that I can think of is that there, there, uh, there was pressure to do that from outside sources, like, mm. for example, mm. uh, advertisers or, right, or what right, have you. Right. Well, definitely. Listen, as as I found out as a podcaster, and go as I go a tiny bit deeper into the radio world and the media world, it's wow to say it's changing is an understatement. Right. Things, a very different model than it used to be. That's for sure. So. It's, uh, it's a little challenging out there. I, uh, 
from what I'm finding. Well, as it happens, that's one of the reasons I'm very happy to sit here with you today. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, you have a depth of experience with podcasting. Right. Yeah, thanks. Now, I uh, really thought very, very highly of Aboriginal Voices Radio because it was one of the ways that we could share information yeah, sure. through the Native community right across uh, Canada. And I did that as a volunteer for 10 years. Wow, I was okay. not an employee. Oh, okay. So now that it's gone, I, I understood the value of it, which is why I volunteered uh, to support that. Uh, so what can replace it? One of the problems with uh, an FM station is that it has a geographical uh, limit. You're limited to the city in sure. which you're yep. broadcasting. Yep. Podcasting, on the other hand. So someone from, let's say, uh, Attawapiskat could record something uh, and ship it via the uh, Internet. Uh, and that could then go out as a podcast or, or whatever. There must be ways to link the rest of the country. Oh, there's so many marvelous ways to, to do it. And I think it's really new still, but the, the stats are crazy. So uh, uh, 37 to 40 million people listened to a podcast last week alone. And about 60% uh, of that, those, that group, listen to five or more. I mean, this is remarkable. And, and there's an age de demographic that they're skewing towards. More, more older folk are picking up on it. I have listeners, and I don't have a lot of listeners yet uh, for Face to Face, but I have listeners in about 22 countries. I well, mean, how amazing is that? How crazy is that? This is a platform that I could never have dreamed of having 20, 25 years ago which or you, less. Which is precisely the reason that I'm so interested That's in things great. like podcasts. Uh, here in Toronto, everybody comes to Toronto. So you can imagine uh, 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 sitting here with a microphone in Toronto. I have people from uh, Nunavut or from the West Coast or the East Coast, from uh, Australia or from Japan. It, uh, uh, all kinds of people have come. So well, let's 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 actually for a brief moment because I think it might be a nice entry point into a whole lot of things that we can talk about. I just want to say too that that uh, Dr. Phillips uh, came into my class uh, recently at Humber College and was uh, kind enough to 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 uh, put on a blanket, what's called a blanket ceremony. And for those of you, I'll let, I'll let Bob tell you about it more, but I've been through a couple of them now, and it's, it's really quite a humbling and a rewarding experience on a, on a whole lot of levels, historically, relationally, um, to, to get a better sense for what was going on over the past 500 years here in, in, in you know, the country I call home. And so I'm going to let you talk about that more in a second, Bob. But what would your radio show... Uh, be about. And then we're going to talk about how you returned to Burnham Thorpe Collegiate 55 years later after being expelled. And maybe that's what your show is going to be about. Well, the radio show was about, and hopefully if podcasting can come out of this, which mm -hmm. it, it, it could very easily be, mm -hmm. uh, it was not about me. Surprisingly enough, it was not about me. It was about the people that I was interviewing. Now, where are Aboriginal artists or community members with uh, specific uh, issues that they're dealing with, where are they going to get national exposure? Even uh, at times, I would find myself at the uh, art, uh, art Gallery of Ontario, and uh, Duke Redbird would be there with City TV uh, getting ready to interview people, and they'd be combing their hair uh, uh, and I'd be there with my microphone. They were all lining up for that. But in that case, uh, maybe 30 seconds on, uh, on the air, broadcast locally, 
in my show was a full half hour. Drop in the bucket, yeah. And uh, the artists could talk about why they were doing something. Well, this is one of the reasons I love it, too, is you can get a little deeper, right? You can go a little deeper than that soundbite. Well, that show that you you put up uh, the last time there about uh, uh, the difficulties that uh, that faced uh, Newfoundlander uh, mm. soldiers. Yes, yes. Uh, Newfoundland and, and Ar- Armageddon. Yes. Armageddon. First World uh, War. I had yeah. no idea about that. Yeah, Brian McAllister. Same. Me too. Me you, too. I mean, I knew Canada had involvement, but not to, not to that degree. I mean, and the, the, for me, Bob, the insight there was for so many of us celebrating Canada Day. Uh, as a holiday and so on for for Newfoundlanders, this is this is a remembrance day. Talk about turning it on its head, especially since those people were killed. Yes, uh, yeah. just uh, slaughtered, basically. Slaughtered, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. which brings us perhaps back to um, uh, maybe some of the reasons why I'm in, involved with this, and this is the history of uh, how Native people have been treated. Well, you strike me as a guy who, uh, when people say, oh, David loves to talk, it sometimes has a little bit of a pejorative edge to it. There's a little bit of a negative tone. <laughs> well, yeah, we can never get David to shut up. But I think, I hope, anyway, that it's, a, it's really about relationship and it's exactly. really about digging deeper. And I get that sense from you. You know, you, you led the talking circles in, in my class and, and with the, the talking feathers and how each person got a chance to reflect on the blanket ceremony. It's like, I, I get this sense from you that you've been doing that for quite some time, that kind of thing, whether it was on radio, whether it was in a coffee shop, or, or, or whether it was out in a boat <laughs> on Lake Ontario. You, you would be doing that kind of work, it seems to me. <laughs> you. Well, you touched on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. First of all, I'd build my own kayaks and <laughs> tow them down to the lake and paddle around out there. But uh, uh, perhaps uh, we can uh, go into that business about how long I have been doing this. Yeah, please. Because, yeah. Give us some uh, history, context. Well, uh, you pointed out that you're going to ask me about that, that article, yes. uh, uh, so the Burnthorpe l- article. So perhaps I could begin by can giving I read you... The, can I read the headline? Sure. Uh, here it is, July 6th, uh, 2016, InsideToronto.com. Man returns to Burnham Thorpe Collegiate to deliver graduating address 55 years after being expelled from the same school. Dr. Bob Phillips of Mi'kmaq Heritage now holds a PhD in Indigenous Studies. Perfect. Now, I grew up in the west end of Toronto, out by the Six Points. Uh, and uh, there was a great deal of denial in my family about uh, Native uh, mm. heritage. Mm. Uh, I remember at one particular point in time, uh, the old black uh, telephone on the wall uh, would ring, start ringing about supper time. The other kids in the class would be phoning asking uh, what the answers to the homework uh, was. And I didn't even have to look at a book or anything. I would tell them. One day, uh, a little blonde girl uh, whom I had given all of the answers to the night before, uh, she got a star and I didn't. And I mm. asked the teacher, why didn't I get a star? I didn't tell her that I, I had the same answers. The teacher screwed her face up. She said, it's because she writes better than you do. Now you sit up straight like a good little brave and you be quiet. After that, I really never did homework. There was no point in doing homework, and the phone ultimately stopped uh, ringing because um, I was... So that kind of 
of thing. Now, not all teachers treated me badly, right. but today I've come to realize that back in the 1950s uh, and 60s when I was growing up, the same social attitudes that were responsible for and current in the residential school system were also current right here in Toronto. To the extent, why, for example, would a teacher tell a nine or 10 year old kid repeatedly, you should be in reform school. We didn't have drugs and alcohol and gangs or anything. Why would you do that? They were actually talking about reforms, uh, residential school. So now having grown up with that sort of thing, for one thing, I didn't learn how to study. I had no idea as to how to control my marks. Sometimes they would be very good, at other times just terrible. I had no control over that. And I was just, by the time I got to uh, Burnham Thorpe Collegiate, uh, that, that was something else again. Uh, uh, especially since in grade 12, at the end of the year, I failed. I failed grade 12. Now, how did that happen? Because at that, I mean, I was always, I, I was never really in danger of failing. Anyway, the next year I had to go back to Burnham Thorpe. And uh, the, uh, the French teacher was my homeroom teacher. As soon as I met him, it was, you sit in the back of the class and you be quiet. And wow. essentially, yeah. uh, he never called me an Indian, but he certainly treated me that way. And detention after detention after detention all the time. Finally, at one, uh, one point, there were uh, fire alarms going off, uh, and I, I stood up. I was arguing the fact that I shouldn't have had the de uh, detention. And I mean, it was way past the time that normal detentions would end anyway. And uh, uh, I was standing close to his desk, not close to him, but close to his desk. All of a sudden, the man said, step back, step back. Don't you tower over me. Now you get out of my classroom. So I left. The, that was the last time I, uh, I was at Burnham Thorpe. Mm. I had to finish by driving back and forth to Acton, Ontario. The uh, uh, adult leader of the Rover Scout crew that I was a part of uh, was vice principal out there. Uh, and then the principal said, look, we have to have something to be able to enroll you. You can go to class, but I need something. You bring your report card. Sure. When I brought the report card, uh, about a week later, he called me down to his office and he said, you see the whiteout here on the, the, the uh, total? I said, yeah, they must have made a mistake. He said, they certainly did, because if you total all of the marks, you did not fail. Now, his opinion was that, and I remember back in those days, Burnham Thorpe Collegiate and high schools uh, got uh, some kind of advantage, whether it was financial or what, if they had a high percentage right of right. people graduating grade 13. Right. And so this, that principal felt that in order to protect that, anybody that might be close was uh, dropped out, was failed in, uh, uh, of grade 12. Now, that in itself did probably would, did not occur because I was a North American Indian, but what led to that was back in public school, you sit up straight like a good little Indian and you be quiet. And so the kind of treatment that occurred during that, uh, that time. So the, so, the, so the ideology, the thinking in the residential school environment was, was not just 
indicative of that, of that ethos, it, it, it spread out elsewhere and it was, it was cultural to some degree. Is that fair? All you had to do was look at the cowboy and Indian movies mm. that were so current back in those sure. days where the native was primitive, uh, he was stupid, you couldn't teach him anything, he was a savage and had to be dealt with. Right. Uh, now, uh, growing up, the people that I saw on television were non-native people wearing um, uh, uh, wigs and things right. like that. Uh, uh, there, there was only Tonto with the, the Lone Ranger and Tonto, and he was my role model. And today, I've actually, I, I actually know many of his descendants, which is uh, rather surprising. That's pretty interesting. So uh, coming home from, uh, from school, uh, after that uh, teacher said, you sit up straight like a good little Indian and you be quiet. So uh, when she said that, I sat up straight with my arms crossed across my, folded across my chest like the Indians I saw in the comic books. And when I got home, I was proud of myself. I asked mom, hey, am I an Indian? She said, she got, she just went nuts. She said, don't you ever tell anybody that. You tell them you're English, French, and Scotch. Mm, Your great grandfather would roll over in his grave if he ever heard you say that. Why would he have rolled over in his grave? It's because the man bought a farm about a mile outside of the Picto Landing Reserve in Nova Scotia. Once a native person bought owned property or went to a university or all kinds of things like that, they, you cease to be a native person. Interesting. So once, you, so once you sort of stepped into another world of privilege almost or acquisition of some kind, you, you had capital, I guess you could almost say? You, no. you you were no longer native. It, it was called. Or you were no longer seen as native. Is that is that what you mean? Or it was called enfranchisement, and it it went on uh, right through until about 1950. Mm. With enfranchisement. Oh, you're not just speaking metaphorically. You, I'm right, speaking right. about laws. Right, laws. Yeah, good. Uh, and uh, uh, someone actually pointed out to me that uh, in the United States, uh, they uh, they wanted to keep slaves uh, on. Uh, on, uh, anyway, uh, if you had one drop of black blood or not uh, white blood, you ceased to be white. You were, uh, as long as you had one drop of black blood, you were uh, a black. So to stay on the, well, with native people, it was the reverse. You wanted to get rid of native sure, people because sure. you wanted the land and that sort of thing. Right. So enfranchisement. And why would my great-grandfather uh, do that, knowing that he would lose all status for himself and everybody else? Well, my mom grew up uh, maybe five or six miles from the Shubenacadie Residential School. And if a child reached five or six years old, the government came, took your child, put them into a school miles and miles away. You might be lucky and see that, that child for a week or so in the summer. But the child also could, uh, all kinds of children died in those things. Uh, they I, were mistreated. When I, when I hear you speak it like that, Bob, it's just remarkable to me that it, I have an eight and a 10 year old, Spencer and Victoria, and I just, you know what I mean? It makes, well, makes me angry. Well, can you imagine <laughs> if, if those children were, were taken away yeah. by the government? By the government, yeah. Now, For your own good. In Canada, we tend to think that, oh, no, Canada is a very democratic country and everything else. But now, very few people, I didn't understand until I was an adult that those kind of schools uh, were doing that, that mm. I, and the complex issues. You didn't know how deep it went. I had yeah. no idea. No idea. Yeah. 
So then, uh, actually, uh, Chris Glover, who is the school board trustee out in Etobicoke, uh, he was talking to, there's a woman at Burnham Thorpe Collegiate, which is now an adult learning center, and she's responsible for some kind of courses associated with uh, Aboriginal uh, culture. And he suggested that uh, she have me come and speak to her class. Well, the principal decided when he heard, he said, no, you have to speak to the whole school. Nice. Yeah, so okay, I did an hour and a half lecture to the entire school in the auditorium. Uh, there was a standing ovation, everybody understood. And when that finished, the man said, you have to come back to graduation. And to my delight, uh, and of course I said yes, and I gave like a five minute little speech. Mm, right. But I was the only doctor on that stage. It's impressive. And. 55 years after being thrown out of that school, why would a French teacher throw me out of school? For one thing, uh, now uh, back in those days, I didn't speak other languages, uh, but today, en français, aucun problème avec ça de tout. So French, oh, no problem. Parlo anche l'italiano, non meglio per esempio, ma abbastanza bene perché, anyway, Italian. In Eleni case, de milato sacola, ella muore si poli, me pere poli, have to glossy some, some uh, Greek because I had a Greek girlfriend at one point. Hmm. Uh, so why would someone, in, uh, I mean, I'm very good with languages. The only explanation that I can find as an adult is the why I was thrown out of that school is if you have a look at my eye structure, my high cheekbones, a round face uh, in those days, a deep tan in the summertime, jet black hair, what is an Indian doing in my class? And it's surprising how that sort of thing. Uh, now, I have to also point out that the Toronto District School Board uh, was not involved with that. That was the Etobicoke School Board that is now defunct because the TDSB, uh, after amalgamation, came out of that. And in visiting classes with the uh, blanket exercises and, and things like that, what I see is that today that kind of overt racism, I don't see that in there. Mm. If it's there, it's got to be very quiet. On the other hand, when you're looking at the difficulties that Native people can face today, Supposing that a kid uh, who speaks, if his parents speak Ojibwe at home, uh, and then he goes to class and you give him uh, a spelling test in English, of course he's going to fail mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. then if you look at him as being stupid, it, right. and it could very easily be that his parents don't speak Ojibwe, but maybe they speak a dialect of English. Right. Right. Again, you get ask a kid to, to uh, do a spelling test, and the chances are the kid is going to flunk it. On the other hand, when I look around many classrooms today, what I see is a wide variety of people from literally all over the world. And I'll bet you that many of them uh, speak another language sure. at home. Yeah. And again... It's part of being Canadian on some level. So if that's the case, if they fail a, a spelling test in English, why would you say, okay, special ed? In other words, I believe that there are many, many problems st that still exist today that could be very easily taken care of 
if we open our minds to see everyone else as being an equal part of the do circle. You, Bob, do you think, so you're, you're an educator, clearly you ran for the, the Toronto District School yes, Board. Yes, I did. Um, we can talk about that. You're a speaker, you're an artist, you're a broadcaster, etc. All these things that you've done over the years. But is, is this issue, and it's so silly to try to reduce it to one question, but is it really about um, uh, the white folk? <laughs> the white Canadians, us, most of us, getting a better understanding, having a better understanding of, of, the, of what First Nations, Métis, and Inuit communities are trying to say. Is that where we got to start? Like, for, for the love, start listening just a little bit more? Because, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know that's a problem in development. You know, st students go overseas and they, they bring these white, western, global northern solutions, supposedly, to global southern communities, the majority world, and say, we've we figured it out, here's what you need to do. Well, actually, no, that's really not the best way to go. It's not the wisest approach. It might work in some cases, but certainly not in all. And there's nuances and there's subtleties and there's tradition and, and, and there's culture and there's language, all these things that are difficult and complex. How do you even begin if you haven't got an understanding of... You know, and this is why the blanket exercise for me was just so uh, um, humbling and, and revealing, you know, when, when I did it the first time a few years ago. So let's start by separating out white. Mm. Many of the colonial people uh, who have brought us to where we are were not white. They actually were parts of the colonized uh, sure. areas yeah. and yeah. just continued on. Why? I don't think it's because it's white or black or North American no, Indian. It's fun just saying white. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it is. It <laughs> there is, is something kind of fun about that, well, right? Well, also if you have a white, look at wealthy, at, privileged. Exactly. Right? There is something. Yeah. But uh, when you talk a better approach. Colonialism yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, is a major problem, and uh, when you have a look at what happened to North American uh, Native people, when the colonizers showed up here. For example, in terms of religion, they had the feeling that we were devil worshippers, that we worshipped uh, um, uh, like uh, devil type of, of uh, creatures or people. Uh, if we had extraordinary respect for a wolf, for example, oh, they're, they're, uh, that's, that's terrible. What they didn't realize, and, and actually in Native culture, we think very highly of things like Mother, Mother Earth mm -hmm. or uh, grand, uh, Grandmother Moon, uh, Noki Mosquises. Uh, uh, we, and um, if, if there's a particular problem, well, uh, very often I'll take my kayak, I'll find a quiet beach, I'll put my, my blanket out in, in my pipe and that, and I'll sing songs to Noki Mosquises to Grandmother Moon saying, thank you for the gifts that I've been given. Now, if you think back to pre-contact when Western Europeans uh, arrived here, uh, they would have seen that as devil worship. Of course, yeah. Don't understand it, uh, fear it uh, on some level, so therefore it must be uh, dangerous. Exactly. And so what they would do then is uh, to protect themselves. They would pray to uh, saints or to, in other words, the Western European had the same kind of view of the world, mm -hmm. except uh, they uh, didn't really understand what we were talking about. And so now, if you're going into uh, uh, other countries for development and that sort of thing, if you become aware of the fact that Native people have been 
uh, badly treated. And today, it's not just Native uh, people. If you go into certain uh, parts of Toronto here where you find uh, heavy black populations and, and uh, many of them being uh, arrested or sent to um, uh, a jail for, for uh, very little reason or not necessarily even gaining a, a sound education, there are, are a, a lot of parallels there. So if you have a look at some of those things, Canada is thought to be, oh, we're so democratic, mm -hmm, we're mm -hmm, above all of mm -hmm, that. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if you're talking to somebody from a different country about their indigenous people, the chances are that, that a lot has been hidden there as well. And if you're aware of what happened to a native people, then maybe you can be a little suspect about, oh, no, no, our, our native people never had that kind of a problem or... Right, oh, yeah. right, right. Do you, do you find, Bob, so we need to get to the truth. Isn't that really the question? Have we got there yet? You know? Well, what's the truth? Yeah. Well, true, fair enough. That's yeah. a yeah. philosophical yeah. question in yeah. itself. Yeah. One good, good way to look at that, because I was just mentioning religion and the comparison between religion. In Native culture, I don't consider myself to be particularly religious, but I am very spiritual and especially as a pipe carrier and, and that sort of thing. And uh, so when I'm thinking about Kichi, uh, Kichi Manitou, I'm thinking about the great mystery about uh, uh, the creator of who and what. I mean, it, it truly is a mystery. Well, our culture isn't the only one that sees that as a mystery. Everybody in the world has sooner or later asked themselves, what are we doing here and who's greater? How do we get here? And so perhaps looking to understand that we all have many, many things in common is much better than looking at the differences. Yeah, starting from a, a, a similar, well, I mean, the, you know, finding similarity through difference. Why is that such an odd notion? Why is that so difficult? Instead of starting from a position of fear and of the other, how about with an embrace? And, and uh, I mean, I, maybe it's easier to talk about than it is actually to get there. But I think a lot of it does have to do with uh, listening, uh, understanding, uh, and being inclusive and being, being open and being open, right? Not so rigid. And I think back to our school systems and teaching in them from time to time, I still see a deep, deep rigidity structure. This is the way it is. Either or, it's black and white, it's up and down, it's positive, it's negative, right? There's, there's very little room for nuance. And dialogue and participation. Um, I guess that's what I sort of meant by getting to the truth, getting to the the relational, the real stuff of what it is that's going on here in our country, but also in communities uh, throughout. How many how many different nations is it around six hundred in Canada? Oh, is that, a, uh, is that I haven't really specifically. Uh, I, I'd have to go and yeah. look that up. I know that there are sixty different native languages. Sixty still. languages. Still spoken still today. Spoken. Wow, wow. Uh, here in Canada, and uh, that that is far more than all the Western European languages uh, combined. On the other hand, this morning I was walking down the street on my way to the subway, and uh, uh, there's a, a guy that I, I I've known for years, and we got we stopped and we're chatting, and he he said, "Well, Bobby said, you are different. You're not like." 
all the other uh, native people. I mean, because <laughs> if you look around the streets, you see mean? people uh, begging for oh, money. Right. Okay. And uh, he all, said, all the other native people. Uh, yeah, and he said. Uh, after all, all the other uh, Native people, uh, they don't want to work. They just mm. want money from welfare because... This was this morning. Uh, this was this morning oh. on my way. To, uh, this is 2016. Yeah. Uh, he said they, they uh, have the feeling that, hey, uh, was my country and you took it away and so give me money. Well, that's not the case. And when you're looking at the guys that are sitting out there saying, hey, dude, give me some money. Apparently, over 80% of all Native students in Ontario actually attend provincial schools, mm. but score at least 10 points less on standardized testing in uh, arithmetic and uh, reading and things of that nature. Now, let's assume that, as in my case here in Toronto, you, you get sort of pushed from one level to another, grade two, grade three, grade four, and you really don't learn how to do all this sort of thing, but you're past anyway. Now all of a sudden you come to Toronto, the land of opportunity, and you can't read properly, you mm. can't count properly, you have a face that looks like you just came out of the bush, you speak with a, a dialect, do you think you're gonna get a job in McDonald's? No. So you wind up on the street, hey, dude, give me some money, and you become the target for every drug, a drug dealer in town. Now, to change that sort of thing, I think, will take generations. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of changes uh, that are taking place in beginning. But when you look at the fact that there are so many um, uh, reserves that don't have clean drinking water, yeah. Uh, and yet the, the Canadian government is so happy to send water treatment plants to any disaster throughout the world. So how come we can't have clean drinking water? And now, in the, uh, I think in the Star, I saw a headline perhaps last night that um, uh, from uh, Grassy Narrows, uh, they've, they've, uh, somebody's done some research into the... Um, uh, 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 what is it, um, uh, mercury poisoning that has been going on for, for years and years and years. So all of those kids grew up wow. with mercury poisoning that in, in, impacts your brain. Oh, yeah, the li and, and little bits of it over time, right? It just, it's that incremental, what it adds up to. You see what I mean? Many, many years. Well, it's what a metaphor, too, for the structure and the ideology and the political and all of that, right? for how deep this stuff goes. So perhaps what we should be doing is looking at, uh, first of all, not hiding this sort of thing. Right. Everybody right. has to know about it. Right. And when I was growing up in school, nobody told me about that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and so now allowing it to get out, uh, out there and not saying, you shut up. You, you sit up straight like a good little Indian and be quiet, which is what people still do to me. Oh, don't talk about that. Oh, so you still do get, uh, you could in a dinner conversation, for instance. Uh, I was criticized for talking to the media. And the media, I didn't pick the media. Other people sent the media to that, uh, uh, that thing. And I was criticized afterwards by non-Native people for uh, even daring to discuss the fact that I was thrown out of school and why. Oh, you're kidding. No, I'm 50, not kidding. Wow. I, and so this 50, is 2016. Yeah, yeah, see, that's just, to me, is insane. That uh, you're given a platform 55 years later afterwards, and somebody's saying, "Ah, oh, you know what? Let's can we just can we move on?" Right? Yeah. That's probably what they really want, right? That's what? that's a messy part of our history. 
Are we done with that? <laughs> but is that any different from my friend this morning walking right. down the street saying, Not oh, no, no, uh, uh, they, they're lazy, they don't want to work? Not a whole lot. Is it? Do you think it's guilt? Do you no. think it's racism still? No. Is it, what, well, what, I think that I mean, what it is is the social attitude, mm. the common social. Uh, in other words, people are, uh, if you believe, uh, for example, that you should stop at stop signs, you stop at stop signs. Well, anymore probably thanks to the commercialization of television and all that, you deserve a break today. You deserve a Cadillac. You deserve this, that, and the other thing. How many people stop at stop signs anymore? Uh, it used to be you had to have the wheels stop. Now they roll right through them. And, sure. Uh, yep. Oh, well, it's that same kind of thing. In other words, if the society believes a certain point, you behave according to those Things. Sure, sure. So my friend, a lot of people in the society still think that Native people are behaving that way simply because we're lazy, we don't want to work. Right. So how Gam to change gamblers that? Gamblers and alcoholics, all the massive stereotypes. Do you think it's changing? Well, I do think it's changing because I was actually on stage at Burnham Collegiate and I had the feeling that I, it was my graduation mm. after 55 mm. years. Mm. So it is changing. And when you have a look at even the fact that you and I are sitting here because right. of the it's blanket true. exercise. It's true, the blanket exercise, right? You see what I mean? There are many things that are changing. Uh, and I believe that is part of uh, reconciliation and in particular part of urban reconciliation. Uh, the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commissions and that dealt with the residential schools. I don't think they were really uh, focused on things like Toronto and uh, the number of Aboriginal people that we have here. So urban reconciliation, can you unpack that a little bit? That's really interesting. I don't think I've heard that phrase before quite in this context. So what was going on in the, in the city while these other things were happening in rural communities that no one really knew much about. There was still a lot of that similar, like, like you say, the, the, the feeling at Burnhamthorpe was very similar to what was actually happening elsewhere. Is that, is that kind of what you mean by urban? Like the how, how many uh, Native people do you think there are here in, in Toronto? Yeah. I, I, I take a guess. Oh, wow. Three I, or four? Yeah, I don't know what the percentage would be. It's probably higher than you think. Well, uh, the, the last figures that I saw were talking about 70,000 uh, people. Hmm. About those seven, very often uh, when organizations go uh, looking for how many Native people there are, they are here, they go to the social welfare thing. Right. And they don't right. realize we have people, like, I'm not the only one with a PhD, and right. there are right. people that run their own businesses and everything else. So the, the figures are probably much higher, especially if you begin to expand it to include the number of, of Métis people oh, yeah. or even people that uh, have a uh, one uh, descendant uh, from here or there. So in the Toronto District School Board, uh, say four or five years ago, it, would, it, it was thought that there were something like four, 450 students, Native students. Today, thanks to the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission and self-identification, uh, uh, already there's something like 1,800 have self-identified, and that is probably just the tip of the iceberg. Mm. So there's a lot of people here, but since we're not 
all like a, uh, combined in one area, like Chinatown, for example. That means that no, uh, we're spread right across the, the uh, probably all across, the, not just the GTA, but even out, uh, outside of it. And uh, so that means that uh, we can be forgotten, we can be pushed to the side, we can be dismissed because there's not enough. Um, there's, there's probably only one of the, the arguments I've heard is that there's, uh, there's probably not more than two or three Native kids in the entire school, so why should I learn about Native is art there, history? Is, sadly, we're going to have to wrap up our conversation soon. Um, we, we're going to have to do a part two. Would you say there's a sense of, um, there's a group within Native communities that are clearly wanting to talk about these issues, wanting to take it to the next levels, forming committees, going to the government, writing letters, becoming political. Is there also a group that's kind of said, you know what, for crying out loud, I'm done, I'm moving on, I'm moving out, or I'm moving somewhere else, I'm getting away from this. Is that happening with the younger generation, would you say? Or, or the opposite? They're becoming more proactive, they're becoming more, um, um, you know, better advocates almost. Uh, quite frankly, a, uh, I find that a little difficult to deal with because, for one thing, uh, uh, that question is is one that would fit uh, like pan pan Indian. In other words, mm. all Indians are the same, or right across. No, uh, even the fact that there are sixty different languages, there are many, many. Even here in Toronto, that's one of the difficulties about getting together to form one right. common block uh, to elect a, a school board right. trustee, right. for Makes example, yep. because you have Mohawk, you have sure. uh, yep. uh, uh, Ojibwe, and uh, everybody else uh, all, all mixed in here. Sure. And yep. some of them uh, keep many of their cultures and traditions. Others try to hide it as much as they can because of the racism. Uh, when my great-grandfather bought that farm, mm. Afterwards, he would tell everybody, no, 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 I'm English, French, and Scotch. Otherwise, you didn't get work in the mines. Right. And there I was, standing on the stage at Burdenthorpe Collegiate in my big robe, uh, getting a PhD, and um, we had to stand for O Canada. Uh, four of the women from our department came out with hand drums and played the honor song just before that. And while that was happening, I began to think about my great-grandfather. Mm. If he was looking down, he would be so proud of me, mm. uh, so proud of the fact that I was actually graduating with a Ph.D. Mm -hmm. in Indigenous Studies at a Canadian university. And up until 1950, if you did that, you were finished. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, to my surprise, there was water started to stream down the sides of my face and uh, after all, Canada, I, I dried it as quickly as I could by pretending I was blowing my nose. <laughs> but afterwards, I ran into the chancellor, and I was chatting with him, and I said, look, I, I became very emotional uh, during the honor song. And he said, I know, I was watching you. So you can't hide. Mm. You can't hide a lot of things. And we can't hide, and there's no point in hiding the damage that was done by all of those things. And if non-native people try to hide those things from themselves i believe that the damage to them will be even greater right right does that all make it, sense it makes a lot of sense last question and uh and like i say we'll we'll, we'll book once the recorder's off we'll book part two but you 
what little I know of you as we become better friends and so on, and I'm sure there's going to be ongoing conversations. You strike me as someone pretty hopeful. And you've been around. You've seen quite a bit from, from you know, was it grade 12 you were kicked? So it was grade yeah, 12. Yeah, yeah, so kicked out of grade 12. Time I mean, the taxi cab driving, the, the stories I've heard, you know, there's so many things, you know, and to, to become this, this uh, indigenous scholar. I mean, you've, you've, the graph on your life would be an interesting one. How's that? Why are you still hopeful? Um, I'm assuming you are. <laughs> yes. Well, as it happens, I'm very optimistic. Yeah. And uh, one of the, the reasons that I'm uh, optimistic is that uh, I recognize that Native people are the equal of anyone else. And one of the reasons that I recognize that is that my parents, in spite of the denial, I believe they passed on to me concepts that are current in the Native community, not just in my family, but all across the country. And one of those is that I am no better and no worse than anything else on Mother Earth. Mm. I'm no better and no worse than any of the animals, the dogs, the cats, the birds, uh, the fish, uh, and certainly no better and no worse than any other human being. And if I'm no, no better and no worse, well, then I must be equal. Mm. So hopefully that kind of an attitude uh, uh, it's a pretty good place to start, it seems to me. Well, once our, our people begin to uh, be treated a little better, uh, uh, I think that our people will become a very, very powerful uh, thing that helps drive Canada to a really good place. Bob Phillips, he's a doctor of Indigenous Studies and, Abor and, and, and an Aboriginal Arts Specialist, 10 years as a producer and host on Aboriginal Voices Radio Network in Canada. And more importantly, he was my guest today. Uh, Bob, thanks a lot for joining me. I really appreciate your time and, and your generosity. My pleasure. Chief. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.